Thank you for tuning in for the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor here in Atlanta, Georgia, with a private practice where I specialize in maternal mental health as well as women. With the podcast, we'll be talking all things womanhood, motherhood, and a few things sprinkled in in between. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a quick chat with me. All right, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Push Through Podcast. And out of tradition, because Jay joined me last year for Women's History Month, of course she would join me again so that we can talk about some very important personal stories, um, statistics, and just what it feels like to be a woman in today's world today. Uh, Welcome back. Hey, girl, and push through, guys. <laughs> um, and I thought, as always, that Jay would be the perfect person to talk about this with me because, like we were texting earlier, she has so many gems, so many talents, so much of a huge aura around her that attracts people because she is so multifaceted. And um, so she is the perfect person to have this conversation with me. Um, and we'll get into all of that. But first, um, being that this is in lieu of Women's History Month, just to give everybody a little bit of background about Women's History Month, it was founded by Molly Murphy McGregor. And the purpose of it was to remind ourselves and to celebrate women and all of the accomplishments that women have made through the years through our culture and our society, which was something that wasn't often done. And just to give you some brief stats on that of what women have dealt with, especially in the workplace, um, less than 5% of CEOs at S&P 500 companies are women, less than a quarter of members of Congress are women, at least one fourth of women experience sexual harassment in the workplace, Women of color represent almost 50% of the low-wage workplace. Women earn about 20% less than men on average. And the stats could just go on and on and on of what we deal with. But before we jump into our own personal stories, how does it feel to be a woman in America today, Jay? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? How does it feel to be a black woman in America, I think, is a more appropriate question, a conversation between two black women. Mm -hmm. Um, It's challenging, but you know what? I wouldn't trade it. Mm -hmm. There is so much beauty, even in the struggle that we come from, that I really think um, allows us to flourish. And um, I'm definitely in a space now where... um, Women, uh, Black women especially, and again, I can only speak about being a Black woman, um, we're expanding ourselves. So many of us are not shrinking. So many of us are like beating our chest. (laughs) So many of us, even in our vulnerable moments, we, there's still strength there. So it's not perfect. You know, Black womanhood is not perfect, but I wouldn't trade it. So I'm enjoying it mm-hmm. even with the challenges of discrimination, you know, pay inequity. You know, being a black woman is still the dopest thing <laughs> ever. Mm-hmm. So um, 
not perfect, but you know, we're progressing and we're pushing through. You know? <laughs> Pun on words. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I will say, okay, so brief story about me, and I've shared this before, but um, both of my parents have had entrepreneurial backgrounds. But the base of their careers were working a traditional nine to five. So they both worked at Central State Hospital. My father had his own mechanic and antique restoration shop and also did like investment properties and sold cars. My mom had a beauty salon, um, but they still had their nine to fives that they retired from. So I was of the mindset that I was going to get a job at some point stay there until I retired, and that was going to be my life. So my first job out of undergrad, um, I think I was making eight, $8 an hour. Wow. And um, eventually, I left, went to a nonprofit. They recruited me back to come back as a program coordinator of a more supervisory role. And I was making 31000 and I remember when we had negotiations about my salary, I was in the same room with my equal, who would have been my equal at that time. She was there and the director, and they were asking me, what did I want to make? Which was inappropriate, like in hindsight, but neither here nor there. So eventually, while I was in this role, I went to grad school, I got my license at that time, associate license as a therapist, and was trying to like figure out how I could make more money. How could I make more money for the nonprofit? And they were basically saying that it wasn't in their budget. I had then found out that there was a male staff who was under me, who only had a high school diploma, who was making 36000 and when I had told my supervisor about this, because at this time I was the highest educated person on the entire supervisory team. And they said, well, we're paying him because we don't want him to leave because he's the only male that we have and we need to keep him. So I left. So I left and I went to a non another nonprofit. Um, I got bumped up to 36 at that job. And it was like grunt work. I was working with developmental disability um, clients, clients with developmental disabilities. And it was on call. It was a lot of long nights, um, hard work. And wow. I got extremely burnt out. And I'm doing this and also working at a psychiatric hospital at the same time to like live, you know. Wow. <laughs> and um, eventually I got a job. With another nonprofit downtown making forty thousand, and at that job I was going to be doing actual counseling, and the supervisor was really great. It was a great counseling department, and I felt like you know this was going to be an opportunity for me to really grow in my skill set and see where I can go. And eventually, that supervisor left, and I got another supervisor who moved over, who actually had an education background. She was one of the worst supervisors I ever had um, and someone who should not be directing people over clinical skills, but they put her there. And um, I ended up becoming full licensed once I got that position. And being that I was the only black clinician, they gave me all of the more predominantly black programs. So I was doing counseling for their foster um, department. I was doing counseling for their homeless department, and I was doing 
counseling in their more um, socio lower socioeconomic status community and had ended up increased the number of clientele um, of people who were coming in to receive clients. And so I asked for a raise once I got fully licensed and she said, you would never get a raise. It will oh, never wow. happen. It would never happen. So. <laughs> the reason why it will never happen, was it a budgetary thing? I mean, not that that would have been an excuse, but did she give a reason? No she real. She just flat out said it. Just flat out happened. said it. Yeah, no real reason. But I knew oh, wow. that the CEO and the COO of the nonprofit were making six figures. Um and not that I even wanted six figures, but I deserved more than $40,000, like with the work that I was doing, what I was bringing them as a, as a group, a nonprofit. So I left there. I went to a corporate job working from home, got laid off at one point right before I had Ezra, um, got pulled back, was making more money. Um, but the, the, being that it was a corporate job, they were so concerned with, well, you have to have these numbers. You have to have like so many people you have to talk to at a time. You need to be talking to like 60 calls per day. And I'm handling like crisis calls. So I'm talking to someone who calling me who may be suicidal. As soon as I get off the phone, they want me to get back on the phone immediately after. And no time to debrief, write a note, you know, get my mind right. And it was just like a machine. And very critical, very just, you know, not it. So the breaking point, I wanted, I had started um, doing part-time private practice in 2015. Um, but I was scared to take the leap because I was fearful that people weren't going to consistently book. You know, sometimes people go to counseling, they feel better, and then they don't want to come back no more. And I wasn't like my parents where I had that nine to five as my base. You know, yeah. if I left, this was it. This, you know, no PTO, no sick time, no short term disability, no 401k. Like, it's just you figuring all of this out. And so I went for an interview for a job with the state working for um, a department that I had um had some knowledge of or experience with personally before. So I felt like that gave me a leg up with the interview. And um, the interview was at three o'clock downtown. And I got there at like 2.45 because, you know, parking downtown, figuring out where to go and all that stuff. And I signed in um, at the front desk, then sat down. And it had been like 20 minutes. So it was like 3.20. And then eventually the ladies, they were sitting at the front at the desk and they're just like laughing, joking, laughing with people coming by. And they're like, someone's sitting in the lobby. Oh my God, you've been sitting there the whole time. Why didn't she say something? She was just going to sit there and just not say something. And I said, well, I signed in. Like I, you saw me, I walked up to you and signed in. You know, I didn't know if y'all were running late or what, what was the case? So then they call and they talk to the women in the back and um, they're like, oh, she's here. And they're like, well, we're still in a meeting with some department head. We're running late. Finally, they call me back at like 4.15. Whoa. And when I get back there, uh, one of the women was like, oh, I'm so sorry. We ran over. Something came up and we ended up having an impromptu meeting. 
Um, and they bring me in and they're like, we were just looking at your resume and we just wanted to let you know up front, we're only paying $30,000 for this position. And, <laughs> and I said, and she was like, did you not know that? And I said, the salary wasn't posted when they called me for an interview. Um, they said that there were some other supervisory positions and that I would be interviewing and they could, they love my resume and they could see where, you know, what would work. And she was like, yeah, no, that's all we're going to be able to pay. And I said, well, I can't accept that. And they were like, oh, well, have a good day. And, (laughs) and, and I told them, you know, side note about my whole experience with the lobby, about wasting my time for that day. But when I walked away, It was my aha moment of stop trying to work for these jobs, Keisha. Just take the leap. Just do it. Just go out there on your own and stop trying to like depend on people or stop trying to like, you know, think the worst of the situation. And there's more to it about things that helped me know that I was more than enough. But that was my first aha moment of betting on myself. So tell us, Jay, (laughs) a little bit about you throughout your whole timeline of when you had your own realization. So I probably um, let's talk about something more recent over the course of the last couple years. And um, I work in higher ed administration and um, in my position, I was the youngest and first woman of color ever to um, be on the uh, president's leadership team. So big deal, you know, in, in essence, people are like, oh, that's amazing. You know, you're the first, but if anyone knows me, they understand the first is never my concern. Being the only is always, you know, more important to me. Well, anyways, you know, got in the job, I think I rocked it out. Well, you know what? Let me not say think. I know. Yes, you did. I rocked it out. <laughs> because there's facts and there's feelings. And yes. I'm giving facts right now. I know I rocked it out. But over the years, just with different revelations, I realized that I wasn't being treated as equally as my peers, um, whether it was the same level of respect or it was um, a big thing for me, compensation, you know, as a woman that is consistently pushing for equity, um, especially pay equity, I felt that, wait a minute, so you're paying her what? Mm -hmm. And I'm being paid what? Or you're paying him what? And I'm being paid what? So started doing my research, documenting everything, kind of, you know, having these back and forth meeting with HR, and it was kind of like constantly hitting a wall, hitting a wall. Well, well, this is, you know, not the right time, the budget, this, or just, you know, it was one thing after another. And I felt I was being given these tasks, like after you complete this, then maybe that completed it, where my money at? <laughs> you know, it, it, the goalpost kept moving for me and it was frustrating and it was also, messing with my mental health in a sense, making me questioning my worth. And to think that I allowed that to happen where I was basing my worth based off of what somebody else wanted to pay me or what somebody else thought of me or where I thought I was. And, And it really, really affected me. I remember many a sessions with my therapist just talking about that. And beyond that, just, just dealing with microaggressions, being a black woman in this space that, 
was just really getting to me. So probably 2000, early 2000, right before COVID hit, I had given myself a deadline that I was going to be gone by the end of the year, end of 2020. Um, COVID hit and we were in the process of buying a new house. So of course I'm like, gosh, we cannot quit. We're buying a new house. This is another responsibility. Then had to homeschool the children. So can't really find a job right now. All these different excuses I kept giving myself of why I couldn't leave this place that no longer served me. And although I had a seat at the table, they were trying to starve me or just give me crumbs at the table and here I was just eating their little crumbs at the <laughs> table knowing my ass should be somewhere having filet mignon you know so excuses after excuses after excuses kept telling myself why I couldn't leave oh they're flexible it allows me to homeschool the kids so finally um I had another meeting about pay equity. And then I realized, listen, these people are not going to change. So it's up to me to define my own narrative and write my own narrative at the same time. So probably close to the end of 2020, I told myself my last day at that institution would be June 30th, 2021. I did not care what was happening in my life. I did not care what bills we had. Sat down with my husband. We talked about it. We talked about, you know, what this would look like for us with half of the family's income leaving in the event that didn't happen. So we talked about it, Keisha. I talked mm -hmm. to my other friends and everybody's like, go, you'll be fine. So I, I bet on myself and then Started in December, I applied for a job. In January, I applied for another job and I hadn't heard anything. And this would be my first time interviewing in years. You know, I had been with this institution for 11 years now and I had been promoted and appointed to different positions, but I haven't really interviewed in a long time. So I'm scared, I'm going through this process. And you know, my village, which was huge, kept saying, bet on yourself, believe in yourself, you you, you got it. And um, I got called about this really awesome position um, and I applied to the position, I bet on myself, I kept telling myself, I can no longer shrink, I can no longer depend on people to define who I am. And um, long story short, <laughs> it didn't take till June 30th, 2021. Yes. <laughs> in a week, I will be starting my new position. It's more money, way more money than I was asking my previous employer for. Mm -hmm. It's a position with a higher title. It's in a different industry, something that will continue to allow me to serve my community because that's huge for me. But it's also something that puts me in a different space to grow as a professional. And I and it all makes sense now for me when I kept like pretty much, for lack of a better word, begging my my previous employer mm -hmm. to say, hey, hey, look, I do good work. <laughs> Why don't you choose me? Why don't you give me a raise? Hey, mm -hmm. hey, hey, I'm doing all this amazing thing. Look what I did for you. I think that was 
the universe's way to say, stop begging folks for a seat at their table when they don't really want to serve you. Mm-hmm. Get your ass up, find another seat at a different table that's willing to serve you until you build your own, right? Because that's the ultimate goal mm-hmm. is to build my own table is to take all this knowledge, all the skills that I've acquired over the years to build my own table, a table that, that will not only serve me, but it will serve people that look like me and they won't have to build scraps, build, not build, but they won't ask, have to ask for scraps from other places. So it's, it's that reminder that we are often as black women especially we feel we have to shrink mm-hmm. you know and Keisha you and I have had this conversation mm-hmm. so many times about shrinking and playing small so you won't have to stand out when in reality we need to expand mm-hmm. when we feel those walls are closing in on us or when we feel that people aren't treating us the way we need to treat that just means that that place is no longer for you Mm -hmm. and that space is too small for you and we need to get up grab our pocketbooks you know like that viola (laughs) davis (laughs) oh yes grab your pocketbook and get the hell on because really time is going to move regardless of if we stand still or we move and the worst thing is to have the regret of well what could you have done five years ago if you had really believed that you were more than enough Mm. and i'm so glad that you sent me that book backstory guys we're gonna get into the book (laughs) (laughs) but go ahead (laughs) okay so well we'll save that for later (laughs) so that was my moment of really realizing that i was more than enough i was worth more than people were trying to throw at me even moving forward i'm still worth more because Mm -hmm. i mean there's no value on this Mm -hmm. there's no value on this dopeness right yeah it's 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 you you can't put a quantity on it dope is dope Mm -hmm. and if you try to quantify it you're always going to come out on the bottom but at least i'm moving um in a space where i feel like i am being properly compensated for my work so yes yeah that was my aha (laughs) (laughs) i love it i um some moments that for me that were pivotal into me knowing my worth was one when i went for that that final job interview another one was when i was in a session with my therapist and i was telling her how you know i have a good good group of clients part-time i could take the leap but i'm really scared and she gave me this great metaphor of like right now you are taking off in the airplane like you are going up in the sky and at some point you're just gonna level out and you're just gonna coast like they are going to come and the flow is gonna be there you just have to let it do let it do its thing and that had stuck with me and it was like it literally happened as such same way same way that she had projected it that was a huge one and then even like recently um something that was huge and like pivotal to me was um i had gotten uh called from a university in atlanta to come and do my presentation for their medical students 
um, because the dean was talking about how um, those students don't necessarily have a curriculum based off of postpartum depression or anxiety disorders and even specifically for black women in the mortality rate and usually like when they go over like um postnatal period it's more so about the body but they don't have that um bedside manner conversation knowledge of of things to do so we had like talked about it figured it out for me to come and like do a lecture um each semester and i was telling my husband about it and um how important it is for me to get my doctorates and I'm not there yet. And I was like, wow. And this woman was telling me, you're the expert. You know, we want you to come in and teach us. And I was like, and they're, they're like going to be doctor. You know what I mean? And that was just like another like affirming moment of stop doubting yourself, self. Stop thinking that you don't know what you know and that, you know, people aren't looking to you. Those were like two gems. Were there any other ones that kind of like affirmed you along the way that you've been on this journey? Um, there's been so many. I'm trying to really go with um, the the most recent things. Um, today, um, I, I had talked to you about this, but mm-hmm. I was on a, a Zoom call earlier. It's a doctoral student that she is doing her dissertation on the experience of black women in higher education and you know what that looks like for us and some of the things that we have experienced while navigating that career path and once the the official interview the recorded part wrapped up and you know recorders are off and we're just talking and um she's just like just emotional and i'm like uh what's what's going on I just want you to let, I just want to let you know that you need to be a motivational speaker somewhere because Mm -hmm. during this interview, you just dropped so many important things about intersectionality, Mm -hmm. about how we show up in the world, in our profession. Like so many women going through higher ed just needs to know this. Mm -hmm. And, and, And that was affirming for me because like, some of my friends talk to me all the time about, oh, you need to do public speaking. Mm-hmm. And for me, it public speaking makes me uneasy. I don't like attention. I don't like people looking at me. But <laughs> you've told me that. So many people have told me that. And it's good to know that I have a voice for someone that grew up thinking, oh, my voice sounded funny. You know, I have this um, odd mixture of a Caribbean, Chicago, Southern kind of accent. <laughs> <laughs> people are always like, where are you from? And I'm like, where am I not from is a better question. And I've always kind of like, oh my gosh, I sound funny. I don't really like it. But the the deeper meaning of what my voice means and the the opportunities that I get for that I get to advocate for women mm-hmm. and to talk about issues that sometimes I believe get swept under the rug. So having someone that is going through a doctoral program and studying this, telling me that I need to write about this and to share my experience and also to speak on it is is really affirming for me. My friends are always saying, "Well, when are you gonna do this or when yes. are you gonna do that?" Or hearing people say. I did this because of you. Mm-hmm. I started this business because of you, or I went for that job, or I'm in this position. Even during mm-hmm. the times where I wasn't 
bold enough to do it for myself, but I was able to genuinely and intentionally pour it into someone else and watch them flourish has been moments of affirmations for me that I am here for a reason beyond just, you know, my regular nine to five, but Mm -hmm. also really to, to just speak life into people and to help them along the way, because so much of who we are as women and black women, I think for, I won't say a lot of us, cause I don't want to generalize, but for some of us, it's not poured into us at an early age and we have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And not all of us show up in the world as being these bold, confident women that have it figured out because our mom or aunt or someone else just told us that we were incredible. Some of us are are just trying to figure it out in our 30s and our 20s and our 40s, me being one of those individuals. So to be able to give people that piece of confidence that is affirming for me mm-hmm. because what they don't know is um, what I'm pouring into them is also pouring back into mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and I'm growing with them and I'm celebrating with them and I'm thriving with them. So yeah. that that's, that's always good for me. I love that. Um, so to bring in the book more than enough by Elaine Welter Roth. Um, I have been following Elaine for a while when she was editor-in-chief at Teen Vogue, I had followed her on Instagram and thought she was super cool. I think like I first started following her because I liked her haircut and I saw a picture of her and her now husband at Coachella. And then from there it was like a rabbit hole of like following this person and thinking that they're cool. And then she came out with the book and I read it and I loved it. And then she flew to, she was in Atlanta where she had a book signing and a talk. Um, and I had went to that and the book was so well written as far as being able to cover how to recognize that you're more than enough in your relationships and your friendships and your family and your identity and also in your work. And she had said two quotes in the book that stood out to me. The first one was, nothing good can grow if you don't nourish your own soil, which I totally agree. And the second one was sometimes just being yourself is the radical act. When you occupy space and systems that weren't built for you, your authenticity is your activism. And it was just, it. the book spoke to me. So everybody that I knew, I would, I would get the book for, say you need to get the book. I would recommend it to friends. And I sent a copy to Jay when she talked about um, her difficulties with her prior employer um, in hopes that it would motivate her to figure out where she wanted to go from there. Now, what did you want to say about it? (laughs) That book was definitely a turning point for me. It was a moment where I read it and I also listened to it on Audible as well because I would listen in the car. I would pick different chapters and listen depending on what my uh, trip looked like for the day. So that book was definitely a reminder of me realizing that often, and you'll, you'll constantly hear me say this, we shrink. We shrink to fit the situation 
that we are in because of course we we don't want to stand out versus you know expanding so for me that book was an opportunity that book reminded me of we're amazing people we we have so much to give mm-hmm. we don't have to settle we don't have to contort ourselves to fit in someone else's box rather we can jump out that box and blossom and it's okay to not have it all figured out and to take the journey and I think one thing um, that is just definitely always stood out is don't grind yourself down Mm -hmm. don't beat yourself down so much by taking on all these responsibilities and saying yes in an effort to prove that you are enough because you already are mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. So regardless if you take on 10 million projects, regardless if you you bring in 10 million dollars to a company, you you are enough and that reminded me so much of it and I'm forever grateful and it's so funny um I'm unpacking all my books now from the move and I found it maybe what about a month or so ago Keisha and I remember sending you a text says um this is the moment I decided to fight because you had sent me the book with a little note in there <laughs> and that is the moment I decided to stand up for myself in the workplace I didn't really care what the outcome was, but I needed to advocate for myself. And I needed to say, I'm no longer playing by your rules Mm -hmm. because these rules are unhealthy for me. So I'm taking the necessary steps to kind of do my exit. It's going to be a beautiful exit (laughs) and just really figure out what's best for me. And um, and I'm going to give that credit to that book because it was so instrumental in me reminding myself of who the hell I was Mm -hmm. and I didn't have to bend for anybody and I didn't have to constantly be the circle trying to fit myself in with a bunch of squares you know like jay-z said i'm geometrically opposed (laughs) but here i was this beautiful circle trying to fit myself in to a square it wasn't for me Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that this new opportunity is going to be perfect but It's the boldness and it was the trusting myself and trusting the process and knowing that there was more out there for me and stepping away from that comfort zone Mm -hmm. because comfort is definitely the enemy of growth. Mm -hmm. You know, we see people and people are so comfortable and they're like, I'm good. This is good. It makes sense. But oftentimes it's stifling our creativity It's often diluting our creative thinking. Yep. It's it's just making us run in circles like a hamster. Yeah, it's comfortable because you know it. It's not stretching you. You're not growing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So how was the book for you? The book was great for me. I thought that what I really, really loved about it was how she often put an emphasis on how difficult it was for her to work at Teen Vogue. Because she was the first black editor and although like, yes, that's such, you know, like a reward or such an accomplishment. But at the same time, there were so many um, injustices that happened within the company. Um, So it put her in like in a rock and a hard place. Like, do I walk away 
when I'm I'm kind of like a gatekeeper in bringing a lot of other black people in um, or do I like stay and try to uplift so many people that I, I believe in because this is a huge platform. And so she did the latter until it didn't serve her anymore. And then from there, you know, she continued to catapult. But that was also like a huge female empowerment part of it all because it's like when you do finally get affirmed or you do finally get to this place to not just like close the door and just forget about other people. And even when like I, I had the idea of starting the group practice, I wanted to bring on other like-minded black women to come and work and learn and help them as they set up to have their own career journeys. Or even when other people are thinking about getting their own certifications for perinatal mental health, being able to send them the study guide that I use or say refer them to a book and not feeling like I want to hold on to information or, you know, it's a competition. And I never think of myself as anyone is a competition to me because I'm such an individual. Like no one has my brain or my lens and my finesse or my approach to things. So no one will ever be able to duplicate me. Um, and and then the greater good is we serve women and there's mm-hmm. not enough of us serving women. So we need more people out there to do it. <laughs> and and that's that. So I thought that that was a huge lesson because there are others that aren't here for uplifting other women, although they may say it because it may sound trendy, mm-hmm. um, but it, it shouldn't be that way. And that was another huge thing that I took away from it. I'm so glad you touched on that um, because that's so important, that mentorship or, you know, pulling up um, a chair for another woman, you know, especially a black woman at a table where you are. And like you said, I I know women empowerment is it's a trendy thing. (laughs) I think there's definitely some authenticity in it, but I also think that it's a good hashtag to Mm -hmm. use or it's, it's the thing to say, but if that only extends to the women in your circle, then there is where we have a problem because what happens in that circle is it, it's only access to the people in the circle when there's people outside of the circle that may need help. And that's one thing that I did love about the book because there were so many women that were there for her. Um, I guess some of them we can call gatekeepers, mm-hmm. but that were willing to help her navigate this world, you know, starting with what's her name, M. Foss. Mm-hmm. And then you had Henrietta Cole. Um, then you had even her meeting with... Um, I call her badass Bose, but Bose said <laughs> John. Um, and then there was Ava DuVernay yeah. down the road. You know, there forward. were all these women that said, come, come sit with me. Let's let's talk about this. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What does life look like to you? And I know you and I have talked about this where in this journey, I have reached out to other women and, you know, women that have been in this field for a while or even women that, I consider um, kind of, I guess want to say colleagues, but maybe in different different institutions and mom, not that anyone owes me anything, mm-hmm. but there's also um, women that I have reached out to that have poured into me that says, let's get on this call. Never met me, don't know me from Adam, but have say, let's sit down, let's set up a Zoom, let's talk. and." what they told me 
was such great knowledge, such affirmation when you have a provost of, of an elite mm -hmm. university make time in her day to say, well, let's talk. Never met me before now, mm -hmm. just based off of an email. Let's talk. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about this certification? Have you ever thought about um, this, this group? Here's where. And that's meant so much. And I think oftentimes, because seats are often limited for Black women in certain spaces, that we buy into the idea of there can only be one of us. And we don't want anybody else to outshine us. So we, we get in. And then we close ourselves off and say, well, I had to work to get here. You had to work to, do, you need to work to do the same. We've seen people publicly embarrass people that have reached out to them in email or on LinkedIn. And people, the, these same people will post this stuff on social media. Like, how dare you reach out to me? You didn't properly address me. You didn't offer anything in return. And to me, Instead of knocking a woman that does that, maybe it's a teachable moment mm -hmm. to say, hey, I have 10 minutes. Hey, I have 15 minutes. How about we talk? And in that conversation, you say, you know, going forward, here is how you send an email mm -hmm. to someone that you want to have coffee with or someone if you're trying to pick their brains. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people are like, nobody can pick my brain for free. Mm -hmm. If it's another woman just reaching out for 15, 20 minutes of your time, I don't think it hurts you right. to do that. And then even it if it does, let's say like you literally get a pick your brain email 10 times a day and you don't have that much time you don't have to be nasty about it you can easily just say i have a consultation schedule you know feel free to sign up or whatever but right. you don't have to like blast somebody or belittle them because they're unaware of what your boundaries are Absolutely. Or when you get on social media and post a, a conversation that was vulnerable, a lot of times it's vulnerable for a person to ask you for help. But like you said, don't be rude about it. Mm -hmm. If you want to charge someone, you are within that right mm -hmm. because your knowledge didn't come for free. Right. You had to pay someone to get it. But I think it's the whole nastiness of it. Then turn around and say, oh, we stand for women. No, mm -hmm. no, no, you, you, you really you don't. You stand for women that are you believe that are on your level that you can network with, that you can get something. But I just always believe in paying it forward. And there's been women that have helped me. Mm -hmm. You know, we're friends, but you didn't have to send me that book. <laughs> and that book was something that was life changing for me. So what did I turn around and do? I sent the book to someone else that I thought needed it. And I don't know if it'll have the same effect. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they'll ever read it. But I know that someone did this to me and I want to pay it for. Mm -hmm. so. Right. Which is not hard to do. What do you think? Because I like what you said about complacency and comfort for someone who has the dream or the desire or is fed up, but is complacent slash, slash um, fearful to mm. like take that leap because, you know, like how I was saying I was scared because, you know, all the finances of it all is right. on me. 
or someone may be scared because, you know, traditionally within their family, everybody stays at a traditional job or, Mm -hmm. you know, you got a good job, you stay there. What would you say would be like an encouraging word or something for them to think about in considering getting out of a situation that they're unhappy with or under not valued? I think the best advice I would give is give yourself grace, but also move. Whether it's tiny steps, whether it's sticking a toe in the water every day, you don't have to put your whole foot in, but move. Because regardless, as I said earlier, time is going to keep moving, whether you stand still or not. So move, but also be good to yourself and recognize what your fears are. You know, it's what may work for someone else. Like for me, giving myself that data, I got to get the hell out of here. For someone else, that may not be their thing. You know, someone else may not want to leave until they have something else secured. So still move and be intentional about it. It may not, every day I did something that took me into the direction that I wanted to go. Like I told you, my login would be my leave date. That was my login. So every day I logged into work, my computer would be my, but my password would be something associated with get the hell on. So every day I had it in my mind that this is temporary. You are not staying here. So I think you, you have to be intentional about it, but also don't beat yourself up about it too, because you have to work at your same pace. So give yourself grace, but also be intentional. And it's okay to have fear. Hell, I was fearful. I was scared that if June rolled around and I didn't have a job, I was still going to quit now. We had talked about it, but I was also preparing myself for what that looked like financially. So I was doubling up my savings. I was like, okay, you can't get them new Jordans, Julia. (laughs) Here's, you know, here here is what you have to do. So give yourself grace, be intentional, and also prepare for you know what that next move is going to be um feel the fear and do the shit anyway (laughs) like feel it you know i think once you face your fears and you feel it then you really realize that that's all it was was fear Mm -hmm. so once you get on that other side of the fear it's so much more beautiful you'll gain so much more confidence because you literally look fear in the eye and say fuck it i'm gonna do it anyway Mm -hmm. so there's a there's a Mm -hmm. bit of strength and empowerment that comes from knowing that something could have broke you but it didn't Mm -hmm. yep absolutely Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. As always, I'm so grateful for our conversation. (laughs) Thank you, girl. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on.